0: The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the New Neuhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, you know that employee, the one who gets under your skin, or maybe it's somebody in your family, or maybe it's somebody in your church, or in your company, or a customer, or a client you've got. How do you work with them? Because you can't just like delete people from your life all the time. Well, I'm talking to Michael Bungay-Stanier on that. MBS as he's often known. And we talk about how to work with almost anyone, unusual habits that help you thrive and how to ignore the hype cycle to focus on what really matters in relationships. Today's episode is brought to you by Serve HQ and Convoy of Hope. You can equip your volunteers with simple on-demand video training, by going to servehq.church. And do you know you can feed a child every school day for only $10 a month? You can visit slash carry to learn more. Well, I'm so excited to have Michael Bungay stand your back. We had a lot of mutual friends, and it was one of those things where we were just, we had to meet. And last time I interviewed him, you guys loved that. And he has sold over a million copies of his book, self-published book, The Coaching Habit. It's the best-selling coaching book of the 21st century, recognized as a classic. He's got a brand new book and we talk about the concept of how to work with almost anyone. There's brackets around that, almost anybody. You can't work with absolutely everybody, but almost anybody. And he talks about, he has some really practical ways to help build the best possible relationship with key people work. But I think you can apply this a little bit wider than that. Hey, Thanksgiving is coming up in a couple months. Christmas, it's like eh, you're going to learn some stuff along the way. Michael was a Rhodes Scholar. He's an Australian who lives near me just down the road in Toronto, Canada. Well, every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like a lot of leaders, you also know how tricky it can be to onboard people. And you're probably still looking for volunteers to replace the ones that have disappeared. What if there is a resource that made it easier. Equip your volunteers and develop leaders with simple video training courses from ServeHQ. You can create your own training or use their video library, so you can customize it or use theirs. Better yet, you can even automate the next steps your volunteers need to take, so set it and kind of forget it for a while. You can check it out that servehq.church. That's servehq.church. And Convoy of Hope is doing great work around the world. They are doing children's feeding initiatives, disaster response, women's and girls empowerment. But did you know that just last year in 2022 alone, Convoy fed over 533,000 children every single school day? in 37 countries. And on top of that, they responded to 75 natural disasters and humanitarian crises, which only seem to be escalating. Convoy of Hope makes it easy for you as an individual, as a business leader, or even a church leader, to deliver tangible hope to people who desperately need it at just the right time. Often we see this stuff in the news, we're like, I don't know what to do. This is what you do. Go to Convoy of Hope. .org/carry and sign up. For as little as $10 a month, you can feed a child every school day or You can also, if you want to get hands-on, create hygiene kits for disaster survivors for the upcoming hurricane season. There will be hurricanes. You can learn more about all of that at convoyofhope.org. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your engagement. Thank you for the way you share this with friends. As you do that, as you subscribe, as you share the message, as you get it out on social, we're able to do even more with this podcast. So thank you for that. And now, my conversation with Michael Bungay-Stanier.
1: MBS, welcome back. Harry, thank you. This is one. Of, you're one of my favorite people to talk to, and it's so nice of you to invite me back and talk about this new book. So thank you for having me.
0: Well, we've had some really good times together in person, yes. and this time we're doing this virtually just so we can get some video, that kind of thing. You you sign every email, and in fact, I've got the key tag you mail, mailed me, which is great. Oh, I'm so glad you like that. I want people to see this. I don't think they can. It's like buzzy. But it says, you're awesome, and you're doing great. You sign every email that way whenever we chat. Uh, I smile every time we see it. I I want to know, random question, why do you say that?
1: Well, I I had a moment of spontaneity when I was facilitating a large group session. And when I'm facilitating, I'm often getting people to work in pairs or groups of three. So they're practicing Mm -hmm. what I'm teaching them, not just hearing it. So I got people to practice a conversation. And then at the end of it, on on a spur of a moment, I said, now look your partner in the eye and say this to them. You're awesome and you're doing great. And it was massively awkward. (laughs) Everyone's like, oh mumble, mumble, mumble. (laughs) But I was like, you know, I'm going to double down on this. So we had three or four more rounds of practicing. And at the end of each one I said, you're awesome. And, you know, turn to your partner and tell them you're awesome and you're doing great. And you could just feel this energy building in the room. And by the last one, they're like slapping hands and hugging and kind of like saying it with gusto. And I'm like, there is something really powerful in, in this phrase. So I added it to my email um, signature. And the first feedback I got from that was from my mum, who was like, this is terrible. <laughs> it's not even, it's not grammatical. You're a Rhodes scholar. You should at least put it grammatically. It's too American, too North American. I'm like, you know, it is, I can't disagree with any of Mum's points there, but there is something in that statement that makes people Mm. feel encouraged and seen. And, Mm. um, you know, on a weekly basis, I'll get a couple of emails saying, thanks for that. (laughs) I appreciated the encouragement. Um, Because, because, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry to break your heart if this is what it does carry, but it's like, it's standard on all of my emails. It goes out to everybody. Really? It's just my sta- oh, I'm I crushed, know. I'm crushed. I know, no, know.
0: We t- talked about that offline. I love yeah. it. And yeah. now it's on a key tag, exactly. you know? And I just, I think... You know, nobody I've met has ever over-encouraged. Nobody's ever had a lifetime dose, right, Michael? Where they're like, hey, that's enough. Can you leave (laughs) me alone? Exactly. Mm -hmm. There's no more you can help me with
1: because I am fully charged and fully expressed and feel fully confident in every moment. I don't think that's happened yet.
0: Yeah, I think about it more often than reading it. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, yeah, you're awesome and you're doing great. What I I like
1: about it is um, I think it applies... It's like that famous, um, is it uh, Solomon in the Bible? Oh, no, I'm thinking of something else, but um, wanting to um, find a way to navigate life and turn to his court jester, perhaps. And as like, I need, when the good times are good, I need something to help guide me. And when the bad times are bad, I need something to help guide me. And he came back with a ring with this too shall pass on it. And hmm. what's powerful about that phrase is, is it, grounds you in the moment and gives you perspective. What I like about you're awesome and you're doing great is in the good times, that's helpful to hear. And in the bad times, that's helpful to hear. It, it's You're still awesome, no matter how it's going on out there. And you're doing great means you're probably doing the best you can, even if it's hard or even if it's easy right now.
0: You know, I've never thought about this too shall pass in the context of the good times. You know, I always think don't ride the highs too high and the lows yeah. too low, but... yeah. You're right. It's true. You can be elated thinking, "I am the best thing since sliced bread and this too will pass." Or this is the best moment, this too will pass. And also the dark clouds, they this too will pass. It's, true.
1: it's like reading both really good, good reviews and bad reviews of a book. You're like, you, yeah. "I I think I can't remember who it was, but it was um oh, the, uh, Ray Bradbury said you got to tr- you got to weigh those reviews equally. Give them the same weight. Um, Mm -hmm. which is to give them really no weight at all is really helpful because you just go, you know, this is wonderful. I love that they've said this or I'm disappointed that they've said this and it's not really going to affect me too much in terms of the work I do or the sense of self I have.
0: You know, a lot of leaders listening to this get feedback every week now um, thanks to social media on whether that sermon was great, whether they're doing well as a boss, what their staff think. And it was funny because I was in Amazon. I don't go on very often, and I was checking out the reviews for my book. And you know, it dropped from five stars to like four point seven or something like yeah. that. So it's just that it doesn't quite show five stars. It shows like four and a half. And and I gotta I gotta be honest. That kind of like, oh, can, can I just get five of my you. friends to post a five star review and notch it back up? Yeah. But how do you handle reviews? How do you handle You know, because you're an author who sold well over a million books. Yeah. How do you handle the one stars, the two stars?
1: Well, um, I don't take it too seriously. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I love it when I hear a story of uh, the work I do having an effect on people's lives. That's very meaningful for me. Yeah. um, but you know, I got an email from somebody the other day, actually somebody left me a voice message on LinkedIn the other day, just to say, I use your work and I work in this, I work in education and it's really having a ripple effect. And that's pretty mm-hmm. wonderful to hear. But you know, when you go into book reviews, you are like, who knows what's going on for people? I mean, I literally for, um, the coaching habit, the best-selling book on coaching this century, somebody has mm-hmm. written, this is the worst book ever written. <laughs> <And> I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, That's, that's, that's hilarious, really, because I mean, first Uh of all, kudos to that person for reading every book ever written. (laughs) Secondly, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm quietly confident that the really bad ripoffs of the coaching habit are probably worse than the coaching habit, but maybe, maybe not. So, um, you know, I, I, with feedback generally, it's like, take what's useful and ignore the rest. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm like, is there anything useful here? Um, anything that has a, a grain of truth, anything that's helpful for me in my work. And and if you know I know the people who I care about and whose opinion about how I'm doing matters to me, and it's a pretty small number. Um, and if I can be good in their eyes, then I have a degree of contentment that no amount of one star reviews on Amazon are gonna drag me down too much. In, in part also because I'm like this is the best I could do at the time. That book is the best mm-hmm. I could write at the time. I, I gave mm-hmm. it the best I can. I might love it or I might have some reservations about it from two or five or seven years later on. But at the time, I did the best I could. So there's no, there's no place for regret around that.
0: On your new book, you've got Brene Brown endorsing mm-hmm. it on the cover and Seth Godin and Liz Wiseman and numerous others. I mean, you know, I think as Seth would say, well, maybe it's not for them right <laughs> well, that's right
1: like yeah. i it, it, there's a there is a way that having a some skeptical or cynical reviews actually creates more credibility for the five-star reviews um right like if, if it was all, otherwise
0: you did have all of your friends go in yeah,
2: exactly it.
1: i don't have that many friends so it wouldn't have made that much difference <laughs> in the end but you know who knows
0: <laughs> um, I loved our last episode that you and I did a couple of years ago. We kind of dove into the whole Rhodes Scholar thing. What makes you your backstory? But I'd love to ask um, what habits or practices do you have that might be a little off the
1: beaten path
0: that sustain you?
1: I am. I'm. Uh, it's an interesting question. I'm pretty normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. But I would say some of the things that characterize who I am are um, I really enjoy reading and I read diversely. So I read mm. science and I read business and I read self-development and I read young adult and I read science fiction and I read literature. Um, <laughs> and um, that all of that helps me think differently and be a better writer. Um I think there's something rich in cross-disciplinary knowledge um, that that informs, um, you know, the thing I'm working on gets most richly informed by the stuff adjacent to it or or a leap from it. Um, And I I think that might be one thing. Hmm. Um, I think perhaps another, um, I'm not sure if you, I guess it's a practice or kind of a, a, a commitment is I'm very interested in trying to be a teacher, but also to decenter myself from a place of authority. Hmm. And there's a really kind of weird tension around that. Like I, I am not at all interested in the kind of guru status that some people in this world go hmm. for, which is like I want to be the star. I want to, I want to be, I want to have my fans. I want to have my my followers. And make no mistake, I actually love being on stage. I love a spotlight. Mm. I love a crowd that i got on the palm of my hand. I love that I've got some true fans who think I'm fantastic. That is all very encouraging for me. And, you know, I wrestle with um, how power works in organizations. And I mm. know that I, I inherited a bunch of that, you know, both from mm-hmm. my straight white tall dude Plus being a road scholar, plus this, plus that, plus the other. I'm I'm just I just naturally gravitate to the center, to holding this, having the, the throne, being on the stage. And most of the work I'm trying to do in the end is about helping to bring forth people's humanity, but also to give people the invitation to take the responsibility and the accountability and the power that might be theirs. And so part of what it means to empower others is to give up power yourself. So Mm. I'm trying to figure out, and I haven't, this is an ongoing, (laughs) I don't know how to do this exactly, but I'm trying, um, is to find ways to be the best teacher I can, to bring ideas into the world that spread, but also to not put me at the heart of it, but to, um, don't even try how to say it but be be mm. but but be somebody who in in doing that allows others to step into authority rather than necessarily me
0: you know you uh <laughs> yeah. And we talked about that in the last episode. We'll link to it in the show notes, but uh, we don't have to say specifics. Another fun slash unusual thing is you said, I want to stop public speaking. Right. This was maybe a year ago we had dinner in Toronto yeah. or lunch or whatever. And so you set your fee at a ridiculously
1: high <laughs> It's level. ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Ridiculous. Thinking, well, now I'm ungettable. Nobody's going to... Co- and that basically killed your public speaking career. So it did. Like, Okay. And how does that, like, that? that's a very interesting way because we're all struggling with saying no. Yeah. And sometimes if you just put a really strange parameter around something, yes, I will do this if you pay me X or I will do right. this if A, B, C, and D are true. Right. And people are like, and it's not ridiculous. Like it's not, there are people who get paid that amount of money. It's not like a million dollars, Right. but you're like, yeah, that's like, multiples of what I used to make speaking. And now most clients will just look at that and go,
1: nah, (laughs) I can probably get somebody cheaper. And you're like, you probably can. Um,
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Uh
1: you know, I I am not particularly strong-willed and I Hmm. realize that for a meaningful life, one of the most powerful things you can do is get clear on what you're saying no to. So your yeses have real weight to them do a few things really well and i have shiny object syndrome i'm (laughs) constantly going oh i've got some ideas maybe i should do this my team is like don't get on a plane because on a plane i have ideas and i get off the plane (laughs) and they're like oh no he's been on an eight hour flight without internet what's going to happen here (laughs) so um rather than it coming down to my willpower to say no i'm like how do i set up structural things that say no for me so
2: mm.
1: um and I'm, I'm it's i'm a i'm a i'm a long time coming to this career. it's not like i've kind of managed this mm-hmm. and it's all going really smoothly but you know i've just had too many times where i've i've said present me has said yes to a speaking gig thinking that future me was going to love it and when future me shows up in six months time future me is going who made this terrible decision why are we here <laughs> This is, this is not, this is not the, this is not the thing you were looking for. So, you know, we built in criteria around um, my speaking. So I have five. Can you pay my full fee? Are you mm. a friend? Is this a cool organization that I respect and and I am aligned with their values and their vision? Um, is it an amazing location? Is it a crowd of more than a thousand people? Um, I think those are my five. And they have to make two of those for it to be a maybe. And then the, the, the mm. new criteria we have, well, I have two kind of backup criteria. One is, if this was tomorrow, would I say yes to it? Yeah. So that, gets, that helps me manage the future me, present me <laughs> confusion. And then I go and talk to Marcella, my wife, about it. Because the number of times I've come home complaining, and she's like, why did you say yes? And I'm like, I'm not totally sure. So she We've kind all of, done those events. She, she's, mm-hmm. she's allowed to kind of say, yeah, I think that sounds like a good gig for you as well. And all of that just helps me set stuff up to not avoid the stuff that I'm both pulled towards and nervous about at the same time, the, the, the work that makes the difference.
0: You know, I've never quite had this thought, but just listening to you talk about this, it's funny how you get to a certain stage in life where you just set up the boundaries that protect you from yourself.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I'm right. terrible. <laughs> huh. I, I I have this ability to set up these ever ever more complicated processes and then undermine <laughs> hacking my own systems. I'm like it's a nightmare. Which often what that leaves is massively complicated systems that nobody else understands mm-hmm. but I I have a way around them anyway. So it's like it's a double loss. Um so no,
0: yeah. And c- categories are really, really helpful. Like I've got an email or two to answer this afternoon. It's like, hey, will you endorse this book? And basically in a season where I'm not doing endorsements unless you're my brother. I don't have a brother. I just have sisters. So- You know, it's pretty safe to say that is going to be a no. And I like the guy and he's writing a good book and the whole deal, but I just just can't do it. I just can't do it. I've got other things on the go. And I think rules like that are very helpful. Any other rules that you've either practiced or seen that help protect people from themselves? Um,
1: I use text expander, and I just have a pre-written no. It means that I don't Mm. have to worry about how to say no. It's just... It, I right. just type in semicolon no, and a, and a short message that says "Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation. I'm fully committed to my current projects, which means I just can't take on anything else. I wish you the best of luck, Michael," or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, yep. And I'm like, that's that that saves me the emotional heartache of going, okay, I have to say no, but what will I say to this person? <laughs> I'm like, it's already written. And then when I uh-huh. When there's uh, somebody who has come to me for a book endorsement, because probably like you, I get a certain amount of people asking me. Um, I'll either send them the no if it's, uh, it's not enough things. But if they're like my stepbrother, okay, you're not my brother, <laughs> but you're my stepbrother. <laughs> I, I I'll ask you, brother. So I've got some reciprocity. There's some sense of obligation on them. And, I, and I'm like, well, maybe. I will um, email them. I've got a standard message that says, happy to take a look. My standard is if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And often it's mm-hmm. a no. And so most of the time I don't do the endorsement. And then I'll then I'll quickly scan the book and if it's if it pulls me in, then I'll write them endorsement. But often I'll go, Hey, I'm thrilled for you. Well done on your book. It's such a thing to get a book written. It's not quite a fit for me. But here's a useful article I wrote about book marketing. I wish you the best of luck. And and that's a great idea. All of that's pre-written for me. So I don't have to think too hard about what to say. I've got that set up.
0: And text expander shortcuts, I think, on your iPhone can do that where basically you just have a code and then like yeah. literally a paragraph or a page can appear. Yeah. And I think that you're so right. I would say my actual criteria, I'm joking, I don't actually have a brother. <laughs> um, but it would be like if I'm texting you on a semi-weekly like weekly or regular basis, right. I will have a look. Yeah. Right now, like yeah. I can think of a half dozen people who would be an exception to that rule, yeah. But those people aren't writing books right now, and if they were, I'm like, okay, I can I can do one on a Saturday, yeah. That's and, fine.
1: and you don't even need to do read, 10 on a Saturday. You Don't need to read much of the book if it's that person. Yeah. What you're endorsing is yes. the person, not the book. You're like Carrie right. Newhart is a authority and has a generous heart and a brilliant mind. This book is by Carrie. You should buy read this yeah. book. Yeah.
0: Totally, totally. Yeah, you can do that too if you know the person well. Yeah. Of course, cancel culture has caught up to book endorsements. So now, if you endorse it, you endorse all the ideas in the book, which also I means am. I now read a book from cover to cover oh. uh, before I endorse it. So okay, oh, I'm that. I'll tell you. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. Well, you know, church world has its blessings and its curses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let me that's tell just, you that. Not just the church world, there's a whole world, world, the whole where, that's, world. where we're dancing with that.
0: We are. Well, I do want to dive into work. You've got a brand new book called How to Work with Almost Anyone. I had a privilege of reading it when it was in draft. And, uh, you know, before we get into the specifics, so much has changed in work in the last five years. So we have the rise of the gig economy, working from home, people not wanting to return to the office, the great resignation while it lasted. Apparently, it's over now. Um, What trends in work do you see as the most significant that we're going through right now as a culture?
1: You know, I feel like I'm hanging on with my toenails and fingernails to how yeah. it's shifting and changing because, you know, so many things are like slow, slow, fast. We're like, it's impossible right. to work at home. Oh, no, it's possible. <laughs> we're all working at home. <laughs> oh, we're we're all committed. Oh, we're not committed anymore. It's the Great Resignation. Oh, wait, it's not the Great Resignation. I, it's It's so we get a little bombarded by the the flow of happening at work, but there are, there's just generally a restlessness about the status quo and the old ways of doing Mm. things, a restlessness around how, what I owe an organization, whether that be a public or private or a church or whatever it might be. Um, how power and hierarchy works. Um, and, um, and you know, I'm a little torn about that because i am I, I, I grew up being that restless person and not being that great with the hierarchy and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but now, you know, I have an organization and I'm, I'm at the top of the organization. So there is some hierarchy. So I'm wrestling with like, I want people who have a commitment to my organization. Um, and I, So I I don't have a good answer for this, Carrie. Hmm. You know, I feel like um, all sorts of things change. You know, there are kind of moments where we're like, oh, it's the great resignation moment. Oh, we're not talking about that anymore. Um, It's diversity and inclusion, and we've got a huge focus on that. Oh, that's shifting as well. So, Mm you know, there's a thing called the Gartner Hype Chart, Mm -hmm. I think it's called, which shows how things have a hype moment and then they sink and then they kind of steady out and they find their place. And so it feels like as we hear the shifting trends in work, they're moving through the hype cycle. Um, what I focus on and what I keep thinking about is it's kind of that Jeff Bezos insight, which is rather than what's changing, what doesn't change? You know, Jeff Bezos Hmm. will say, there's there's never going to come a moment where people go, I want something to be more expensive. wanted to be deli- I wanted to be delivered more slowly so he's mm-hmm. very focused on what what he thinks are the evergreen experiences of retail see there are pros and cons of what Amazon have done in the world um mm-hmm. so partly I'm, I'm like so what hasn't changed about work and I I'm going to turn the tables on you what do you think you know as somebody who talks to people all the time because of your podcast what do you think has remained consistent in work.
0: I love that framing. Um, well, you and Seth have both ri- both written really important books on work this year. And I would say significance, yeah, healthy relationships, a healthy culture. Am I making a difference? Is yeah. any of this doing anything? Uh, do you see me? Yeah. Do I like you?
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Can we have a conversation? Right um is this work giving meaning to my life or is it sucking my soul yep. are you are you tapping into the whole of me which Fine. you get at or just the part that you know I'm semi-robotic now or there's yeah. not a big difference between me and chat GPT I think it's those eternal issues and I think you know even as AI invades the workplace I think it's got pros I think it's got cons like everything and I'm using it but just for a first draft or a prompt or ideas, not like to replace a job at this point. But I think it's, I think it's this, I think it's meaningful conversation. I think it's being seen. I think it's being appreciated, loved, understood. That, you know, Pat Lencioni built an entire career on what was almost laughed out of C-suites in the 1990s and early 2000s, which was soft skills. And now everybody's like, no, those are those are the things that define a workplace. Right. right? So I, I think you're right. And I think you do a beautiful job getting out of the, And and let's be honest about that. Was it the Gardner hype cycle?
1: The Gardner. So Gardner and a kind of IT consultancy. Okay. So G-A-R-T-N-E-R, the hype cycle. And, you know, it's like everything okay. from you know everything that's ever been invented kind of goes through that hype cycle and most often they talk about technology, but you can map all of the kind of work trends onto that as well.
0: Well, and I think, right, everybody wants an edge. It's like, I coined the term great resignation and you get your 15 yeah. minutes of fame and you're right. blah, 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 right? Or like, well, the great resignation is over. And so, I mean, it, it is good. It was prudent to pay attention to it in 2022. And then we had quiet quitting for about three months. Remember that? Yeah. Um, so I, I love that your focus is more on the timeless, not the timely. And that's yeah. why you can go back to a book, you know, you're hinting at Ecclesiastes or Proverbs yeah. where, okay, written 3000 years ago, I, I read a proverb every morning and you know what? It speaks into my life. Humans don't change that much. Right.
1: So hmm. I go, all right, with work, I'm just going to repeat some of the stuff you said, but, you know, yeah. uh, my own words, which is like, how do you um, build, how do you make, how do you be human in work? I do think many organizations um, – I know less about the church world, but you can speak to it. I think it's a nature of an organizational structure is they often tend to dehumanize people. That, that's the, well, that that's happens the momentum. But they're like, because you know, we're an organization, we're a structure, there's work to be done, and you kind of lose that um, – we're trying to get stuff done rather than we're trying to celebrate the people at the heart of, of the organization. You know, that Martin Buber – philosophy of I, it relationships and I, thou relationships. And I'm like, organizations will tend to I, it relationships. So people are hungry for I-thou relationships. I, thou relationships. I heard the chief innovation officer of a great place to work speaking the other day. And he said of the, the, the companies are at the very top of the great place to work rankings, um, they are, They are places of great listening. So people see, be seen and be heard, just as you said. And in the end, he said, and in the end, it's all about the relationships. So it is about this sense of, do I have Mm. relationships? Are there people who, um, they don't have to be my best friend, but do I feel like I have a degree of kind of connection and alignment with them? Am Am I making progress? Am I making progress on work that matters a little bit? And if you can do all of that. You're doing marvelously because that is simple to say and it's hard to pull off.
2: Hmm. hmm.
0: Thanks for raising Boober. I haven't thought about him in many, many years, maybe since seminary. So yeah, I you're right. It, but it's, it's, beautiful. it's the people I love skills. It.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So let's talk about. Um, let's jump right into how to work with almost anyone. Okay, so. I think we all have the experience. It's like, well, I really have a best friend at work, or I can get along with this person, or we socialize off hours. But there's almost always, you only need a team of four, five, six people to have someone that you're like, yeah, not so sure about
1: that person, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you get into a large organization, and inevitably, there are coworkers that you just don't like. Right. And you don't want to work with, or like, I have an insufferable boss. Yeah. So what is the big idea between, behind how to work with almost anyone?
1: Yeah. The big idea is every working relationship can be better. And that matters because your happiness and your success depends on your working relationships. Hmm. Most of the time we cross our fingers and we hope for the best. You're like, I hope there's fewer of those people who I don't like very much. I hope there's more of those people who I really get on with, and we click and it's magical. Um, there's a honeymoon period that lasts somewhere between you know twelve seconds and twelve weeks. Um, but we're like, how do I more actively shape the working relationships, knowing that they're so important to not just the work that gets done but to my own sense of well-being, my own sense of being seen, my own sense of being human with people around me mm-hmm. and the best possible relationship. Is an idea that isn't just about. So, how do we turn every working relationship into a thing of, you know, Disney esque magic and beauty with unicorns and you know sprites jumping around? Yeah. I always go, look, your your working relationships are probably mappable on a bell curve. You know, past and present. You will have some at one end where you're like, ah, this is great, it just clicked, it was fun. We elevated each other, we danced through the hard stuff, we had some grace, we had some style, we had some fun, you know, those kind of magical working relationships. People can probably call a face or a name to mind right away. There are probably mm-hmm. some people down the other end of the bell curve where you're like, Wow, that was hard. <laughs> that was a bit mm-hmm. that was a bit miserable. Um, you know, sometimes you're like, and that person was <laughs> the Incarnation of evil, but quite often it's actually much more mundane than that. It's like we just there was sand in the gears; we could just not find a way of kind of clicking and and getting going. It was just hard work. Most of the other people, often quite forgettable in some ways, are kind of right in the middle somewhere. They're like, it it was okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And with best possible relationship, you're like, okay. Not only how do you make the really great ones even more magical and last even longer, or that's a really great outcome. It's not even about taking the ones in the middle and going, how do you give a bit more magic to those, but it's that as well. You know, how do you bring out the best of each other, even on those more standard relationships? It's also look at those really hardworking relationships right now. What if you could make those workable, or bearable, or good enough? What if you could make a difference there? You know, there's a a, a writer on relationships called John Gottman. One of the really yeah. influential books on this called, the, I think it's called, "The Seven Secrets of a Successful Marriage," um, and amongst other things, he says that the issues in a relationship, seventy percent of those are perpetual, like they they're just going to be there.
0: <laughs> the 10-year argument. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: You're like that. That, that, that if you look forward to that argument for the rest of your life, because <laughs> that's the way it's going to roll. Mm-hmm. But, well, the, is, but I
0: say this, and she says this, and
1: yep. <laughs> The optimism for me in that is it's like, that means 30% of the relationship you can influence. What if you could make the bad and the good and the brilliant working relationships 30% better? What would that be like? What would that do to your success and to your happiness? And then the rest of the book is like, okay, if you buy into that as an idea that all working relationships can be better and it matters because that drives success and happiness, how do you do that? And that's what we get into in the book.
0: So I want to get into some of the specifics, but let me name the elephant in the room because there are people listening right now who are like, yeah, but you gotta meet my yeah, boss. But. You you gotta meet this one. Like yeah. the almost is in brackets, Michael. So, like, is like if you have a totally toxic boss, like what where is the line? Cause I think we all intuitively know that okay, there might be a couple of people who are impossible, yeah. but we can probably turn some of the C minuses or D pluses into a B. Yeah. If we work at it. Do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? If you draw the line about toxicity or that really difficult person?
1: I'm not sure. It's a big, complex question because it yeah. depends so much on you and context and them yeah. and tenure and and just what their behaviors are like. I mean, <laughs> when I came up with the title, how had to work with almost anyone. I'm like, oh, that is a great title. Because everybody immediately goes, oh, I can... Let me tell you about my almost. I I know exactly who that person is. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I'm like, okay, name your almost person. That leaves everybody else. And what what I hope is that you don't just assume that every difficult or challenging or not straightforward working relationship is irredeemable. Mm -hmm. You go, okay, you know, Kerry, good guy-ish, but you know, he, I, he and I we don't really click that well. Um, yeah. he, I, I probably won't bother because it's it's too much. It's too much at risk. Right. But but I could also go look, Kerry. We don't click. He and I don't click when we're working together. But I don't think it's toxic. I just think we've got different styles of working. And we don't. We haven't right. figured it out yet. And I might come into a conversation with. Carry, maybe you, maybe a different carry, and go right. <laughs> if I can make this a little bit better for us, that's going mm-hmm. to reduce the impact quite a lot in terms of the, the misery or the kind of head upness that I get around that working relationship. So for sure, there are there are some relationships where I'm like, you know, that person is a psychopath. You know, there's all that good research that says psychopaths are one percent in the in the population, and. 20% of CEOs, or maybe it's 13% of CEOs. Mm. There's a way that that type of person definitely shows up in organizations. And there may be other people where you're like, this is never going to get better and it's not worth it. But the way I look at it, this, Gary, if you look at a relationship, a key relationship, one that influences your happiness and success, you've got two choices to have a conversation and try and make it better or to not have a conversation. And each choice has prizes and punishments as risk and reward. And it's worth just looking at both of those choices and actually sitting with what's at risk and what might get better. And then make the call around that rather than just going, ah, they're toxic, they're too hard, too difficult, I give up.
0: I really appreciate that angle. My wife uh, used to work as a divorce attorney. And one of her, you know, one of her conclusions after working with hundreds of couples was she realized that, yeah, there is that odd, super toxic, abusive person that you need yeah. to take a break from. But there were numerous times where the problems were not that big. And she had a few clients sit in her office after it was all over. And she was into mediation and you know, staying out of court and the whole deal. Very conciliatory. And they would say, you know what, if I knew it was going to be this hard, I would have tried harder. Yeah. And I think that's a very similar vibe. You're right. So maybe maybe for the purposes of this conversation, take the most toxic person in your life out of it right now. The person who really does have some kind of borderline personality disorder or is a complete narcissist or whatever. And let's focus on the almost everyone else. So with that in mind, how do you work with almost anyone?
1: Well, the idea at the heart of the book is singular. It is this. Have a conversation about how you work together before you plunge into the conversations manifold of what you're working on, and that conversation about what to do, what are we working on, what's the problem, is is the loud thing. It feels the thing that you want to talk about right from the start because it's there, it's urgent, it's exciting, it's not, it's it's troublesome, it's worrisome, mm-hmm. it, it's calling you. I mean, even when you think back on the, the coaching habit book, Gary, which, you know, is the book of mine that's been most successful by a long way, you know, one of the first questions there is what's the real challenge here for you? And that's a great question, but it's a question about the, the issue. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a question about the work. And I'm saying if you take your eyes off the work and look the other person in the eye, metaphorically or literally, and say, before we get into all of that stuff, which is calling us and needs to be sorted out what if you and I have a chat about how we best work together so that when we work together to solve it, we're bringing out our best and we're avoiding our worst to get going on the stuff that matters.
0: Hmm. You call that the keystone conversation?
1: Is right? Yeah. Yeah. It works as a metaphor twice. One for the, the keystone that people probably come to mind immediately, which is, you know, the, the hmm. big stone in the middle of the pillars of an arch. And I was like, that's a great metaphor because it's two pillars and they lean towards each other and then the keystone joins them and creates stability and strength. And the longer it's there, the more solid it becomes. You know, it works really nicely as that kind of metaphor. But in the 80s, this idea of a keystone was taken toward of ecology and biology. They started talking about keystone species in an ecosystem. The best story being the introduction of wolves into Yellowstone National Park in the U.S.,
0: Quite controversial.
1: Controversial, but, you know, basically wolves had been um, shot and made extinct. Um, Elk had overrun the park and were kind of slowly destroying the park because there were too many elk and they were eating all the trees and eating all the vegetation and everything was kind of getting denuded and stripped bare. Reintroducing the wolves... Brought the elk population under control, scared them out of some areas, which meant that the vegetation came back, which meant the river got healthier, which meant the beavers came back, more fish, more Mm -hmm. birds. And the whole ecosystem became more diverse, more rich, more resilient, um, better able to bear stress. Um, So whether you're, you're up for the building metaphor or the ecology metaphor, that keystone idea is this is the thing that shapes and allows the ecosystem, which could be your relationship be stronger to last longer and to bear stress Hmm.
0: yeah you know and it's funny how a predator can make things better that's a that's that's a really interesting thought something to just tuck away i'm just going to put a pin in that i don't know that we can do anything with that today predators make things better Hmm. okay so you're going to have the conversation can you walk us through what that would look like so it's yeah. how do we work together, not what are we going to do? Because often you're right. Okay, job one around here is boom, 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 boom. Here's our value statement. Here's our culture. All right, now let's get on to the task. You've got it. two, yeah. A, B, C, D. So before you do that, walk us through the broad overview of the conversation you want to have.
1: Yeah. So there's three main parts to the conversation. One is you do a bit of preparation. One is you invite somebody in and you have the conversation. And after you've had the conversation, there's kind of ongoing maintenance of of the working relationship. That's the the big picture. And then for the conversation itself, which is kind of what the book is mostly written around, um, I suggest five potential questions that you can walk through. Mm -hmm. And I think you can do it, you know, all five questions, one after the other, but I do just want to flag for people that if they just sit down, like even if you never buy the book and you don't even listen to what the questions are, you just sit down and you go, hey, why don't we have a conversation about how we work together so that we bring out our best? So how do I bring out your best? And how do you bring out my best? And how do I not bring out, how do I avoid your worst? And how do you avoid my worst? If that's all you're taking from this conversation, that's brilliant because that's the essence Hmm. of it. Now, I do have five more specific questions to ask and answer if that's helpful for you, but don't get daunted by five questions. Just go, it's a conversation about how we work together is what makes all the difference.
0: Okay, well, let's, let's break that down. So Perfect. the big meta question is, what's your best and what's your worst? What, what gets revealed in that? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so
1: the, the first question is the Amplify question, and I framed it as what's your best? And when I was writing the book, Carrie, I was like, okay, well, how do I, how do I, ask? what's the question? Yeah. I knew it was something about focusing on the light, you know, in the world of change management, there are things like appreciative inquiry or positive deviance or uh, appreciative intelligence. You know it's this idea of fo- amplify what's working rather than fret about what's not working. I'm like, that's powerful. But I didn't want to ask, what are you good at? Too limiting. Hmm. I didn't want to ask what your strengths are, too abstract. I didn't want to ask what your values were, also too abstract. I wanted to get a picture of when this person was in their sweet spot. So the way to think about this first question, what's your best, is when do you shine and when do you flow? Hmm. So you know this idea of the flow state from Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, the Hungarian psychologist, very long, complicated name, which I've had to memorize in terms of pronouncing <laughs> it. Um, this idea that when you can get into that flow state and you've got the perfect work and you're kind of lit up and your time speeds up and slows down, you know, what's that? Tell me about that. You know, what's the work that lights you up and wh- what's the type of working relationships with people? You know, when do you, when are you at your best with that? Is it with people? Is it not with people? Is it working in a certain way with people? What does that look like? Um, and what's kind of essential to who you are? And I want you to paint that picture for me. Because if I get that understanding of what you are at your best, I'm like, first of all, I'm seeing it. (laughs) Even as you tell me the answers to this, you're lighting up around it. And I'm like, I want more of that. And hopefully, when you tell your answers as well, they're like, they do the same. They're like, okay, how do we get more of this more often between the two of us? So it's a really strong start, which is, This is what it looks like when each of us individually are showing up at our best. Can you imagine how well we're going to work together if we can get more of that between us more of the time?
0: And then do you go to what's your worst? Like what's a, what's a a great day? What's a bad day? What's a great flow? What's the opposite of flow?
1: I wait a little bit later than that for, to kind of formally ask that. But here's the thing. Um, typically when you, you ask this question, the invitation is to then be curious. So it, when, they, when they tell you, you don't have to go, okay, noted. Write something down and don't ask another question. You're like, tell me more about, I'm really interested in, what happens if, and you can get really curious about that. And this curiosity, which is in service of the other person, helping them understand themselves and you to understand that other person, such a gift. And so here you are going, look, i want I, I want to I want to understand more about this. So you know be nosy. be curious as people give mm-hmm. you their answers because unclear what you'll uncover, but you're going to uncover some interesting stuff
0: and you you raised such a great question last time we talked. I think it was in a previous book. You know, what's on your mind, and what else? That's such a great follow-up question, and what else? Yeah. I've used that so many times (laughs) since our first conversation. And it's funny because people tell you, "Eh, and then you go, and what else? And then it's like, well, actually, (laughs) boom, boom, (laughs) boom. And then it's so clarifying. So if you you want a question to stick in your pocket, that's super easy to remember. Just when someone gives you an initial answer, just say, and what else?
1: Here's the way to remember that perhaps. Their Mm -hmm. first answer is never their only answer and it's rarely their best answer. So if you know that, it just gives you an obligation to go, great, we've only just got started here. And what's miraculous about asking and what else, Carrie, is most of the time people don't even hear you ask it. All they hear is you (laughs) holding the space for them to tell you more, longer. And I've never had anybody go, excuse
0: me, (laughs) what? Like It's such an easy question and they always answer it because there's always some, I've never had someone say nothing.
1: Well, I have. I've had people go. This, I, I don't have anything else. And you know what's wonderful about that? That's not a failure. That's a success. <laughs> <You> go, <laughs> great, great. It's all out on the table. That's perfect. What, uh, let me ask you a different yeah. question then. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. So you said there were five more. Yeah. So the second One question. The, five?
1: the second question is the steady question, and this hmm. is like, what are your practices and preferences? Because we all have mechanics and logistics of how we show up and how we work. And they all feel like common sense to us. And they're not. (laughs) They're our own quirky work habits that we've developed over time. Everything from how you file things, what you name things, what you like to be called. I mean, on a very practical level, like my name is Michael Bungay Stanya. It is a complicated name. More complicated than I've would expected, but so be it. Because when I got married... I took my wife's name and so added Bungay to Stanya. But we didn't put a hyphen in there. So there's like this invisible hyphen. So people get my name wrong all the time. People are scared about how to say my name. Like I have literally incorporated my company as the banging spaniel company because I once <laughs> got a letter to Michael Banging Spaniel. And I was like, That's that's too good to pass up. Um I don't like I don't like to be called Mike. I like to be called Michael. Um mm-hmm. and you know, uh, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been learning in the last little while is people want to be clear about what their pronouns are. I'm like, wow, Mm-hmm. wouldn't have guessed that 10 years ago, <laughs> 10 nope. years ago. We just had, you know, the pronouns were obvious. You didn't have to declare them, but like now I want to know what people's pronouns are because it, it's not something that I worry about particularly, but I want them to be seen and I want them to be heard. And if they want to be called yeah. them rather than he, then I will accommodate that. Um, So it's everything from how you use Slack, what our meetings are, how you prefer Mm. your feedback. Like I work with somebody at the moment and she and I have different preferences around how we give each other feedback. For me, Mm. I'm like, please just be as blunt as possible. (laughs) Like I'm a bit obtuse. So it's really helpful if you kind of like hit me over the head with it. And I also have a really good self-esteem. So you don't have to worry about hurting my feelings because you can just lay it on me and I'm not going to take it too personally. Just feedback. Take what's useful, ignore the rest. Um, for her, she's like, I'm really hungry for feedback and there are times I'm a little fragile because I've had some pretty rough experiences of that with other people and other organizations. Mm. So here's how I'd like you to lead into feedback. So I can just get my feet from underneath me and I can just get myself ready to hear what needs to be said. It's still hungry for it. She just needs a slower lead into it where I'm like, accelerate, please. That's the sort and of what conversation. What is that question?
0: What is that question again? The question is what are your
1: practices and what are your preferences?
0: Practices and preferences. Yeah. Got it. Super helpful. Excellent.
1: And I can see that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Third.
1: The third and the fourth question, are, they kind of work together um, they're the good date question and the bad date question. So they're the, mm. the flip sides of the same coin. And the key inside here, Kerry, is your patterns repeat. So what happened in the past is going to happen again in the future. doesn't matter that the past was a different church and a different congregation and a different group of people and you were younger and more naive or any of that stuff. It's just going to keep showing up. So why not understand what your what, what those patterns are and be able to articulate them. So start with, you know, when you've had a really successful relationship in the past, what can we learn from that? What Mm -hmm. did the other person do and say, and also not do and not say? And what did you do and say and not do and not say? Tell that story, because that's going to make a really good working relationship come to life for the person you're in conversation with. And- do the same for those frustrating past relationships. Tell me about a relationship that drove you nuts. (laughs) What was that like? What got done and not done, said and not said? And tell that story so the person can go, oh, I'm getting it. (laughs) This is the thing we (laughs) shouldn't try and create here. I think it's really powerful, Kerry, for the, the frustrating past relationship. The temptation is to complain about the other person because, you know, they're an easy target. <laughs> yeah, they were sure. messy, My terrible nightmare. Box, napoleonic, yeah. um, kind of whatever, status hungry, power hungry, selfish. You can kind of get into a bit of a complaining mode around that. I think it can be really powerful in a way that can be kind to you, you know, compassionate to who you are to go, here's how I contributed to that bad relationship mm-hmm. because you did contribute it wasn't 100% on them and 0% on you yeah fair so fair. find your way of saying this is what i this is what i own in that dysfunction um
0: it's like when someone complains about their ex it's like i don't know and he was or she was
1: and yeah. it's like did you did you play a role in that I thought <laughs> exactly. you might have yeah and and even if it's 100% true what they're saying about that other person mm-hmm. it's kind of like so what between you and me <laughs> like yeah, that are that, that, nothing to do with me. It's you and me here. So I'm just interested in how you show up. Um, and sure, I'm interested in what I should avoid doing because you're telling me some of that. But I'm really interested to go, oh, you know, you're, you are unwilling to call me on my BS if I'm doing that. And mm-hmm. I, that's really helpful to hear because there are times where I can go off <laughs> and I can be full of myself and I need to be called on it. And then, cause this is all about sparking curiosity. You're like, so this is a conversation we've got to negotiate. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'll give you an, another well, good example. Good day, bad day. Well, let me give you yeah. one more example of that. And then we'll come Please. to the fifth question. Um, I had this conversation with a vendor the other day. So somebody who was helping me with some website stuff and, um, In a kind of a slightly more low key way, we were in in our first conversation and they were like, let's talk about the website. And I'm like, great. But before the website, tell me when you had a client that you've loved, what was that like? What do they do? Mm. And when you've had some really bad clients, um, what did they do? And I'm going to tell you about the best vendors that I work with, the ones that I love and I give lots of business to. And then I'm going to tell you about the ones where we did one project and I'm like, great, we're done. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) And I won't ever call you again. And one of the things that came up is that we really like vendors who are responsive to our stuff, you know, it's like uh, no our clients who are responsive. So when they send them something, we'll get a reply within 48 hours. And I'm like, so I am sometimes called the VP of bottlenecking because if I'm not responsive, I'm very unresponsive. So we had then had a conversation about how to manage me when I'm behaving badly hmm. and that is, is really healthy because we both now know what's going on and they're now able to call me on it in a way that we've given each other permission on it.
0: That's really good. Very astute. I wonder how often a vendor would have a conversation like that. One in a thousand, one in 10,000, like it's probably pretty rare.
1: By the, by the look of shock on their eyes, when I asked them this question you're going to go, Oh my goodness, what are our answers to that? Um, not that often. And that's part of the reasons why it can be really helpful to give people a little bit of a heads up that you're going to get into a conversation around this. So you're like, look, I'm looking forward to our kickoff conversation. I want to talk about the project in the brief. I want to start off by checking in with you about what a really good client vendor relationship is going to look like. So I want you to think about what a great client is and I'm going to tell you what a great vendor is for me. And we can set things up by starting there.
0: You know, it's interesting because that also, on the part of the person initiating the conversation, requires a fair degree of self-awareness. That's true. So, as you said, you know, yeah, you're not as young and naive and blah, 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 blah. But, like, I had an example this morning where I was working on what was supposed to be a three-minute routine task. And I clicked through to an article that was going out by email. I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't right. It had been completely rewritten in someone else's name. And they had taken my words. Now, we use a variety of firms and it could have happened a bunch of different ways. But this is 7 a.m. Nobody else is at work. So I'm not going to like start texting and calling people at 7 a.m. But, you know, it reminded me, I don't like surprises. And I was totally surprised by that. And I think when I'm 82 years old, I'm still not going to like surprises. <laughs> That's right. Partic- particularly if it's not a good surprise. Yeah. So, you know, I fixed the article and got the byline right and found some of my original language. And it's like, this is on my blog. I want it to sound like me. Who rewrote this? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, yeah, that hasn't changed. I'm much more modulated. I'm much more uh, self I have a lot more self-control than I used to, right? but that's still true. And, but you need that level of self-awareness to walk into a conversation with.
1: And so honestly, this book is a business book that disguises a bit of a self-help book. So each of the five questions has three exercises associated with it to help deepen your self-knowledge and refine your language and make your answers both more nuanced and more granular at the same time. I'm trying to give people the vocabulary to say, let me give you some subtle and useful answers to these questions, not just the kind of high-level jazz hands type of answers, which will be your your, your initial answers to that. Right. Okay. Question five. Question five, the repair question. How will we fix it when things go wrong? And the power of this, Kerry, is you're saying things are going to go wrong. <laughs> not, you know, on the off chance things will go wrong. It's like it always goes wrong. Something always goes off the rails. Some, sometimes it's big and kind of explosive and kind of catastrophic, but mostly not. Mostly it's a dent, a crack, a rip in the fabric. Something happens, you know, a misspoken word, a misunderstood expectation, a broken promise. Uh, you know, just there's all sorts of ways that, Us messy, complicated human beings get the other messy, complicated human being wrong somehow. So, this opens up a conversation about what does it look like when it goes wrong and and how do you fix it and how do I fix it. But what it really does is it says we have permission to talk about it when it goes wrong. We have permission and a shared commitment to try and repair it when it goes wrong.
2: That's
0: super helpful. Now, what else? Anything else about the five questions, uh, the principles that we haven't covered that that you'd like to cover? Well, Kerry, I think
1: you've brought up something really important. I just want to say it again so people hear it. The and what else question from the coaching habit and the advice trap. um, So helpful in this conversation. And at the same time, The the real win in this keystone conversation is actually not so much the answers that you're hearing, although that's particularly helpful. It is the fact that you have started to make and normalize the fact that you're talking about the working relationship and the health of the working relationship. So you now have permission to keep checking in with each other. Hey, how are we doing? How are you doing? How am I doing? What do we need to do more of or less of or? double down on to make this the best possible working relationship, you get to keep checking in on the health of that. You know, I saw a, a statistic the other day that said 70% of Gen Z workers leave their first job within a year. I know, it's like mind-blowing. Mm. And I suspect it's, a significant part of that is that well-known saying, people join organizations, but they leave managers. And you don't want to have that manager, but you definitely don't want to be that manager. So what this does is, first of all, it helps you not be that manager. Secondly, it says it is our joint responsibility to try and build the best possible relationship here. It's not just on me. It's not just on you. But how do we do this together?
0: On that note, do you notice any generational differences when you roll out this concept and see people practice it? Because innately, I would assume a boomer might respond differently to even this premise than, say, a Gen Z. And to be fair to all generations, I think for a lot of people, it'll be the first time they've ever had this conversation in their life. Kind of like when you ask the vendor... Like, what makes for a good client? What makes for a bad client? What yeah. makes for a good vendor? They're like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> like, they talk about it in the break room. They talk about yeah. it, you know, amongst themselves, but they never had that conversation publicly. So I think it's new. And do you notice generational
1: changes? I definitely notice that people who are in the early phase of their career are just less articulate about what they want because they're still mm. figuring it out. They, they, they're they're kind of more idealistic and more naive and more unrealistic. And I'm like, "Yep, that's me as well." (laughs) That was exactly what I was like um, when I was that age. And there's, um, you know, now that I'm kind of getting on, I'm like, I feel slightly paternalistic about it and slightly irritated by it and slightly encouraged by it in kind of kind of equal equal doses. Um, So I do think that part of why you're doing this is to actually help people find the language and, and start thinking about this. And you're moving them to emotion. This is a form of emotional intelligence. And an emotional intelligence can get learned and refined. And so you're building capacity in people to go, oh, I'm I'm learning. I hadn't even thought about that Thank before. Goodness. But I'm. I'm finding words that tell me about that. And it kind of ties back to the last question in the coaching habit uh, series, which is what was most useful or most valuable here for you? Mm-hmm. Part of why that's so powerful to ask when you're in conversation with people is it stops and it says, learn from this conversation. What are you taking away? What are you noticing about you? What are you noticing about this conversation? Become smarter. This is your, I think this is the job is a, in, in, as somebody who looks after people in an organization, you call it whatever you want, a manager or a leader or um, you know a, a, a role in a church hierarchy, you're like, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm trying to teach people who they are so they build their confidence and their capacity and their sense of the, who the best of them are. And when you ask what was most useful or most valuable here for you in this conversation, you're helping them learn. When you check in regularly and go how are we doing? What are you learning about you and how you work? What needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in terms of this working relationship? You're asking them to be smarter about who they are. You're helping them give them language about who they are.
2: Hmm.
0: This has been so helpful. And uh, thank you. You know, In both of these conversations you and I've had, I feel like I've, I've grown as a leader. I've got to execute on this stuff, but it's super helpful. Michael, is there anything else that you want to cover? Before we wrap up.
1: I, um, I might just say that the keystone conversation isn't the end of it. It's in some ways the start of it. Um, right. It'd be, it'd be kind of nice if it was a one and done thing. Oh, we had a conversation four years ago about how to work together. That's fine. But you know, if you're in a, in a more intimate relationship, you know how well that works. (laughs) Yeah. We talked Mm -hmm. about how we were doing four years ago. We're just carrying on then It doesn't work. Um, yeah. So I have a kind of three-part theory around um, maintenance. It is to adjust always. So you're checking in mm-hmm. and going, do we need to tap the tiller at all? It's to repair often. Keep checking and going, have I missed anything? Is there something where mm-hmm. we've slightly ripped that we need to kind of fix? And it's to reset as needed because there are times mm-hmm. where you're like, we need to, we need to stop this. Or we need to really kind of blow it up and start it again because we need to reset to make this really work.
0: Wow. Okay. Super helpful. Well, thanks, MBS. The book is called How to Work with Almost Anyone. Thanks for holding it up. And it's available widely.
1: Is there a special website or anything? There is. That Um, people should go to? Yeah, Yeah. bestpossiblerelationship.com. And there there are downloads there. There's also a video of me doing a Keystone conversation with Ainsley on my team. Ainsley and I have been working together for four years, but she's just been promoted into a new senior role. And so we're using that as a way of kind of reaffirming how we work with each other, but also resetting how we want to work with each other as she moves to this more senior, greater responsibility. So you can kind of see it in action.
0: Great. And you're pretty active on Instagram. I follow you. Thank you. what's your handle on Instagram?
1: It's at MBS underscore works. There you go. Till next time. Thanks Thank you, so much, sir. MBS. It's my pleasure. It's a great delight. Well,
0: I hope that helps you work with almost anybody. I certainly picked up some tips along the way. And you know what? I just realized I got to get more intentional about it. So if you want more details, obviously Michael's got a new book, but you can also see everything at the show notes. You can go to com slash episode 594. We've got transcripts there. I've got a few highlights along the way, quotes you can share. And remember, when you share this podcast, we get killer guests, guests like Richard Foster. I picked up his books in the 90s, and we have a powerful conversation. I'll give you an excerpt in just a minute. Arthur Brooks said yes to being on this podcast. Dave Ramsey is coming back. Mike Todd, John Christ uh, Professor John Lennox, Philip Yancey, man, you loved him first time around, and Grant and Cheyenne Skeldon, man, a whole lot more. But next episode, Richard Foster and Brenda Quinn on the journey from being a Type A leader to leading a contemplative life, the disciplines, man, I'll tell you, we have a great conversation. Here's an excerpt:
2: I knew Eugene Peterson pretty well, and his congregation yeah. back east, and, and uh, but he kept his focus on Jesus, yeah. and and uh, a, a, a sense he had a or has a book. There's a book the contemplative pastor. And uh, uh, one of the old writers, George Fox, would often talk about taking people off of himself and turning them to Jesus, their present teacher. And I thought, oh, yes, see, if I can learn in that direction. Now, see, I also pastored what the church growth analysts would call the large church. And it was a kind of place where things seemed to go right no matter what I did. <laughs> I, could <laughs> enter, I could enter the pulpit thinking I was in this, lived in the Slough of Despond, come out feeling like I lived on Mount Sinai. I mean, just carried by the life of, uh, of a congregation, wonderful people. And so it isn't, it isn't uh, the size that, hardly matters at all. See, the great danger in churches is the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. And if you focus -hmm. your your attention there, you've lost. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. We focus our attention on a life, a life with God.
0: That one was a delight. And if you subscribe, you will not miss it. Otherwise, it'll be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I wanted to listen to that, right? That's what I do. I subscribe to the podcast I want to put into my regular rotation. It's a privilege to be in your regular rotation. Thank you so much for that. And before we go, I got one free thing for you, and that's my email newsletter. I deliver it every Friday. I work hard on this, so does my team. I want to feature the most fascinating and curious content about faith, culture, the future church, and other topics I find helpful as a church leader. I read pretty widely. I read articles, periodicals, uh, social posts, watch videos pretty widely, and also I'm trying to read deeply these days, trying to recover the lost art of reading in my life. So if you want to receive On The Rise, I would link. Just It's a very short email, and I link to all kinds of things that I found interesting that week. You can sign up for free by going to ontherisenewsletter.com. You can join, well, almost 90,000 leaders who are getting that delivered to them every Friday for free. Easy to subscribe, easy to unsubscribe if it's not for you, and easy to share with friends. So simply go to ontherisenewsletter.com, and you'll get my best picks for interesting, fascinating content that can develop and grow your leadership, or simply visit the link in this episode's description. There, we made it easy for you. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. It's a privilege to do this with you. I do not take it for granted, and I hope this helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing, and we'll catch you on the next episode.